the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning. Welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial women. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleaf, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated. Their securities and investment advisory services are offered to the next financial group incorporated. Each is a member of FINRA and SIPIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. The sun is shining. It's summertime and the living is easy. Today is the start of the 4th of July weekend, a day to relax in the backyard with your family and take it easy. It's going to be nice this weekend with temperatures in the high 70s and sunny. So set the barbecue up in the shade of the trees. And uh, coming out of this virus situation, you know, the backyard seems to be the safest place in the world. <laughs> And I've been in some restaurants, and the restaurants, they, they, they've given up on the spacing thing. Everybody's shoulder to shoulder now. So, backyard is the backyard for me. Then maybe we'll see some uh, some fireworks tonight. Uh, Wellington has scheduled their fireworks for tonight at, dawn, at dusk. And uh, I can see the fireworks, uh, you know, the ones from Wellington. I can see them from my front yard. In addition, my neighbors generally put on their own fireworks display, so uh, I'll get it from from the neighbors as well as from uh, Wellington. So we'll be bombarded with fireworks this weekend. Last year, the 4th of July activities were mostly canceled, but this year, the fun starts again. Increases in the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the concerts on the green, the village green, 
and the uh, ice cream socials, and it's uh, always been uh, scheduled on the 4th of July, and the 4th of July parade starts at 3 o'clock tomorrow. So this weekend, I have my tours list, and I canceled in some time for the uh, patio, and maybe even some time for the hammock. And maybe this weekend, we'll find the time to, to summarize what happened globally and nationally that affects our investment. This week, globally, uh, global equities were mixed with U.S. Uh, indices setting new records for the week. And also, Europe and the U.K. were basically moved sideways this week. In Asia, uh, the equities, equity indices were down. So basically, what's happening there is that Europe and Asia, uh, they're being hit hard by the Delta COVID variant, that's the one from India, and rising instances of the Delta variant in Europe and Asia, and the prospects of travel restrictions and possible shutdowns is causing a lot of concern among their investors. The U.S. economy, on the other hand, shows a stronger and a broader recovery uh, than predicted. That's why a lot of your uh, uh, your suppliers and, and uh, a lot of your small businesses have been caught flat-footed in terms of how strong the recovery has been. It's almost like, uh, you know, I was talking weeks ago about a gradual uh, recovery. This is one that's like you know, switching the light bulb on and off. So the light switch on and off. It just is here. Uh, that's the issue with regard to the... Uh, uh, to regard with the uh, inflation, in the sense that uh, you can't get the help, you can't get the parts, you can't get the products to sell. Um, there's delays in the supply chains, and also increased prices. You know, the, the suppliers really have the leverage now, and they'll tell you that hey, we can't give you the full order. We'll try to give it to you in a little bit here, a little bit there, and the price is going up 10%. So that's certainly what the negotiation consists of now. So, uh, you know, basically the, the economy is stronger than predicted. And we see that when we talk about the housing. Housing is one instance. You can talk about new construction. You can talk about existing uh, homes. Uh, the existing homes are basically they're on the market for probably no more than a week before somebody picks them up. New construction, they're going as fast as they can. They've got operational constraints like lack of manpower, lack of parts, cabinets and fixtures and things of this nature. Manufacturing sector, that's another place, and that's... They increased orders and production. The orders are going up. Production going up. Deliveries are going up. They're running into their own problems in terms of uh, late delivery of their products and, and increased. Uh, everybody agrees that the prices are going up. And basically, they're being passed on. Right now, they're being passed on to the consumer uh, because the consumer, you know, we're coming out of the... Um, basically coming out of the cave, you know, in terms of saying, okay, uh, we're free now, and, and uh, uh, we, we're feeling wealthy in terms of our houses are going up in value, 
our investments are going up in value. Uh, a lot of people stashed away their their uh, stimulus checks, so their uh, bank accounts are going up in value. So, um, uh, you know, if they want something and the price is going up, so be it. You know, they, they basically want it right now. So uh, that's another, you know, it's, it's part of inflation. And uh, what we see in terms of the service sector, service sector has this huge increase in employment. They're still down low, which is where they were in February, but they're gaining fast in terms of the number of people. We'll get to that later show in terms of the employment situation. And we'll also talk about later in the show the the housing situation, too. But basically, uh, stock rose this week to basically record levels. And uh, what you see is the standard and poor 500. Set another record high. Uh, they closed Friday at 4,352.34. They were up 1.7 for the week. The uh, uh, the Nasdaq also hit a new interday high as well as a closing high. It closed at 14,639.33. It was up 1.9 percent. And the Dow uh, set another record. Uh, and uh, it closed at 34,780.35, and that was up uh, 1% for the week. So, well, one of the concerns, you know, uh, in the United States is the emergence of inflation, and uh, it, it appears in the uh, consumer goods, it appears everywhere. It, it appears in the consumer goods, and the producer prices, and the uh, uh, the imports. So if you're taking a look at the uh, all-inclusive CPI as opposed to the core CPI, the all-inclusive CPI uh, for May went up uh, four-tenths of a percent uh, for one month, and it went up uh, 3.9% uh, for the trailing 12 months. So the core, which excludes core CPI, which excludes food and fuel, uh, that that went up uh, 0.5, a half a percent uh, from the previous month, and 3.4 percent uh, over the last 12 months. So, and then when you take a look at producer prices, producer uh, price increases. That's where they're not selling to the consumer; they're selling tools to companies and things of this nature, products to companies. That that's up between eight and nine percent, depending upon what you're talking about. And then the uh, import prices are up about uh, uh, seven tenths to eight tenths of one percent. So, I mean, these are monthly uh, changes. So, on the well, the the, the producer products that's up uh, that's a yearly, and the uh, imported prices is up basically uh, um, a monthly uh, increase that compares to our four tenths or five tenths in the CPI. So. Wherever we look, uh, the uh, price increases are with us. And one big item that typically is not uh, fully included in the consumer price index numbers is the uh, home prices. And we we basically look at the home prices. We look at uh, uh, the National Association of Realtors. They they talk about uh, how much uh, prices have gone up for existing homes. 
over the last 12 months, and also the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. And the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, uh, they've been doing this for 30 years, so they, they track uh, home prices also. And uh, what you're seeing is that the last uh, result from the National Association of Realtors, excuse me, the last results from the National Association of Realtors, they reported that the median uh, home price, existing home price, uh, went up 24% over the last 12 months, and that the uh, uh, the median home price uh, has exceeded $350,000. So one of the things that is sheltering the home buyers from the full extent of the, of the price increases is this uh, lower, low 30-year mortgage rate, which is around 3%. So basically what you're seeing is that the, the mortgage rate uh, isn't going up as fast as, no, well, not the mortgage rate, the monthly payment isn't going up as fast as the uh, uh, the, um, the numbers on the houses would indicate. You know, you take a look at a $350,000 house that you're going to put 20% down for and finance the rest of the 30 years. So uh, basically, people are looking at things and saying, hey, hey what else am I going to do? So, uh, But it is it's certainly one of those things that is not included in the price index and is also, but it is indicative that prices are going up. One of the things I mentioned before was that the uh, Case-Shiller uh, home price uh, survey, that tracks uh, uh, every month the price of a typical single-family home located in basically 20 metropolitan areas in the United States. So they've been keeping track of this for the last 30 years, and they show that prices are going up, and uh, they show it in... 20 metropolitan areas, and one of the metropolitan areas is Cleveland. So if you take a look at uh, prices for April, and these are prices that are averaged uh, over a three-month period, uh, uh, prices that were posted Tuesday show that uh, Cleveland home prices are up 13.3% over the past 12 months, and that's the metropolitan area which goes anywhere from uh, uh, Westlake to uh, Mentor to, I don't know how far inland it goes, but it could go as, as you know, Brexville and places like that. And you look at other areas around the nation, uh, Denver, it's up 15.4%, and Washington, uh, D.C., it's up 13.5%. So the composite of the 20 areas is the with all the 20 areas together, the composite uh, shows a price increase of housing uh, single-family homes in the United States at 14.9% over the last 12 months. And the national average, which includes things outside the 20 metropolitan areas, that's 14.6%. Just to give you an idea of what prices look like in in places where there's demand, real demand for, uh, you know, sky's the limit in terms of demand. So Seattle, uh, price increases are up 20.2%. Uh, San Francisco, up 15.1%. Uh, 
and Tampa, 15.4%. Well, some of those places are sky high already. And uh, the uh, managing director and uh, global head of the index investment strategy that stands in the pool of Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, Craig Lazaro, said that uh, uh, home prices accelerated their surge in April of 2021. Uh, the National Composite Index marked its uh, 11th consecutive month of accelerating prices with a 14.6% gain from uh, year-ago level. This is I'm quoting out of his report. And uh, uh, up from 13.3% in March. So what he's looking at is every month that goes by, uh, the price increases increased uh, over the last 12 months. And this acceleration is also reflected in the 10 and 20 city composites. The 10 city composites is up 14.4, and the 20 uh, city composite is up uh, 14.9%. The market strength is uh, broadly based, and all 20 cities rose, and all 20 gained more in the 12 months ending in April than they had gained in the 12 months ending in March. So it's broad is essentially everything. He continued, said, quote, April performance was truly extraordinary. The 14.6% gain in the national composite is literally the highest reading in more than 30 years of S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller data. Housing prices in all 20 cities uh, rose. Price gains in all 20 cities accelerated. Price gains in all 20 cities were in the top quintile of historical performance. In 15 cities, uh, price gains were in the top decimal, decile. Five cities, uh, Charlotte, Cleveland, Dallas, Denver and Seattle joined the National Composite in recording their all-time highest in the 12-month gains. And continually, as though we have previously suggested that the strength of the U.S. housing market is being driven in part by a reaction to the COVID pandemic as potential buyers move from urban apartments to suburban homes. And April data continues to be consistent with that hypothesis. Uh, this demand surge may simply represent an acceleration of purchases that would have occurred anyway over the next several years. Alternately, there may have been a secular change in location preferences, leading to a permanent shift in the demand curve in housing. So uh, more time and data uh, will be required to analyze that particular question. Uh, question. That's according to Craig Lazaro. So... Basically, time will tell. And as I said before, if we go back to the uh, National Association of Realtors, they say um, uh, listing home sale prices in May uh, were up 24% from a year earlier, up than the uh, median home price, uh, top 350000 for the first time. And uh, uh, the market, they say, while the price of uh, pace of, of uh, price gains has now been faster than during the housing boom in the early 20s, 
this market is less prone to a downturn, economists say, uh, because of the, uh, the, the basically uh, the, the 2006-2007 uh, home price bust was due to all sorts of, uh, of uh, loaning to people who really couldn't pay and adjustable rate mortgages and things of this nature. Uh, and now they're just, they're saying that um, most of these mortgages are in the 20% region, or most of the down payments are in the 20% region, and the the, uh, the, uh, the points have to be uh, the uh, scores have to be much higher. Uh, Ultra low mortgage interest rates means that the typical home buyer monthly payment hasn't risen as rapidly as the typical house price, but uh, Fast um, uh, rising home prices and limited inventory are making home ownership less attainable for those with a limited budget. So, uh, what you're seeing is that uh, we look at the United States recovery, and we'll, we'll take a look at uh, uh, the industrial uh, and the employment situation as we go along here. But one more thing with regards to the housing. According to the National Association of Realtors, uh, pending home sales rebounded strongly in May, reaching the highest reading ever for the month of May since 2005. So uh, the pending home sales index uh, is a forward-looking indicator of home sales based upon contract signing and moves 8% to uh, 114.7 in May, and year-over-year signings increased uh, 13.1%. Uh, an index of 100 is equal to the level in 2001. The National Association of Realtors Chief Economist, Lawrence Young, says that the uh, uh, May strong increase in transactions following April's decline, as well as the sudden erosion in house affordability, are indeed a surprise. This housing market is attracting buyers due to the decline in mortgage rates, which fell below 3%, uh, and an uptick in listings. So the number of listings is increasing. I think that's part of the breaking out of this COVID situation, is people weren't happy about the you know, the number of homes for sale was restricted by people who weren't happy about uh, having strangers wander through their kitchens and their homes. Uh, also, launch and continues. Although there's been a series of obstacles over the past year, including an unprecedented uh, pandemic with record high prices and all-time low inventory, buyers are still lining up uh, at a feverish pace. It continues while these hurdles have contributed to pricing out some would-be buyers a record high aggregate wealth in the country from the elevated stock market and the rising home prices are evidently providing funds for home purchases and more market listings will appear in the second half of this year in part from the winding down of the uh, federal mortgage forbearance program and more uh, home building. Again, he continued uh, home prices, home price growth will steadily moderate with increased supply, but a broad and prolonged decline 
in prices is unlikely. However, if a reduction occurs in some markets, home buyers will view the lower home prices as a second chance opportunity to get into the market after being outbid in previous multiples and and uh, bid market conditions. And that's basically, you know, this bidding is something new in the Cleveland area, I think. And uh, it, it is prevalent because my clients are telling me about, you know, well, one client was telling me the other day that I think he put his house up for 350 and uh, I think there were 30 bids on it. And uh, uh, he, he chose the one closer to 400. So, uh, to me, uh, it, it is basically real. Uh, so what you're seeing is, is that uh, in the Midwest, where we're at, <clears throat> the uh, index uh, is up 7.8% uh, from May. And uh, uh, to me, that, that's in the indica- indicative, indicative of the... the uh, Housing market is strong. Home construction is strong. Uh, we'll get into the uh, employment situation in a minute, right after we uh, uh, take a break for uh, the, the station identification. Uh, what I want to say is that you can give us a call. Yeah, we talk about uh, what's going on in the big picture, in the big picture in the United States, and that affects our our. our stock prices and bond prices, and that affects our uh, 401ks, and that affects our retirement prospects. Uh, but we can also get into the, the, the other issues, the issues that confront you with regard to uh, am I saving enough, and my am I utilizing all my saving uh, capability in terms of IRAs and 401ks and things of this nature. So you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. So give us a call one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again? 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get This Day. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. 
You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 We don't just deal in a big picture. Uh, we also deal in the in the picture that involves our families, our, our savings, our retirement, all the things that are important to us, uh, funding our goals in life. So, um, Colleen, did we see a light? Yeah, we did. We did. Our friend Phil gave us a call, and he says he's heard that a guy turned his Roth IRA into a $5 billion, with a B, a $5 billion <laughs> tax-free nest egg. And Phil wants to know, I think we all want to know, <laughs> how did he manage to do that? <laughs> Tell us the secret, Jim. Tell us the secret of it. Well, it was a... Uh... Peter Thiel, and now uh, Peter Thiel was one of the original uh, uh, founders of uh, PayPal, and uh, uh, he was a uh, right at the, uh, on the ground floor. I don't know whether he was the principal founder or there was a group of guys out there, people out there in Silicon Valley. So uh, what he did was. Uh, uh, this was in the days when the I think when the uh, uh, you could put uh, two thousand dollars into a, a Roth uh, IRA, and uh, he got he had this uh, uh, I guess it's founders stock, you know, it was worth basically uh, one a share was less than uh, one tenth of one cent. Each, you know, they were basically worthless pieces of paper uh, unless the company really caught on and prospered. So this was the this was the uh, idea that uh, a founder found the why the company you get this stock. It's basically uh, uh, almost worthless, but he gets a million shares of it. He he it was less than two thousand dollars. He plunks it into his. Uh, uh, Roth IRA, and it's been sitting in there for the last 20 years, and PayPal is a going concern. I don't know what the, the value of the PayPal uh, stock is, is worth today, but you can look it up. And uh, what's happening is that the, the idea for the Roth IRA is that you pay your taxes on this money that you're putting into the Roth IRA, and there are certain rules that you have to leave it in there for five years, and uh, there's also rules of five years. Five year. You have to leave it in there for five years, and you have to leave it in there so it's 59, until you're 59 and a half. Otherwise, there's a 10% penalty. So there's certain rules that we all obey, you know, not only the billionaire, uh, but when you put your money in there, you have to pay your taxes, and then there's restrictions on how you can get your money out of there. So uh, he put uh, this founder's <laughs> uh, uh, stock into this uh, Roth IRA, and it was uh, worth less than $2,000. So he pays the taxes on $2,000, moves it into a Roth IRA, and now it's grown to $5 billion. Okay, so the moral of the story is if you're doing a startup company, and you've got this, uh, or in a practical sense, if you're speculating and 
in something and you're hoping that this speculative uh, investment is really going to turn out well, then uh, what you can do is park it in a uh, Roth IRA. In other words, pay the taxes on uh, your investment and uh, uh, push it into a Roth IRA. Right now, the the limit for the Roth IRA are $6,000, and the the, uh, over 50, if you get another $1,000, you can put in there. So it's basically $7,000 a year. And there are certain restrictions on how much you can be earning. I think it's uh, 104000 Well, you, you'd have to look it up in terms of what the exact amounts are. So uh, that's what he did. And uh, uh, if, you're, if you're doing a startup company, why, why what you do is just kind of follow the leader. You know, he, he pushed his thing in there, and he's got five billion dollars in his Roth IRA that he can take out tax-free. Jim? uh, Yes? I just looked it up, and PayPal is worth $290.24 per share. (laughs) Per share. Okay. So it's worth almost $300 per share. And when he stuffed it into this uh, Roth IRA, it was... uh, uh, share was one tenth of one penny. Okay, so uh, that'll never happen to us. <laughs> but but it's a good question. <laughs> you can you can you can talk of you can talk to your friends over a beer about that one. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. We're going to start a company, and we're going to get this founder started, and we're going to put it into our Roth IRA. I mean, become billionaires. Okay. Uh, let's talk about more realistic things right now. Uh, the, the, one of the things, one of the reasons that the stocks and, and the, you know, all the equities, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, and the Standard Poor's 500 were up this week was because of the employment situation report that came out for June. And that was kind of a Goldilocks uh, report, which was uh, the Department of Labor put out this employment situation report, and it showed that uh, payroll increased 850,000 people, jobs, in June, and that the private sector portion of that was 662,000. And basically, uh, everybody is waiting for that time when we were... We're putting a million jobs a month uh, on you know people on the payroll, but in the in the uh, second quarter so far, they've basically put uh, 1.7 million uh, people uh, in jobs, and uh, there's something like six point I think it's six point three percent. It's six point three million um, people that are still on unemployment, considering. Uh, what the numbers were today versus uh, February of uh, 2020. So what we're seeing here is that over the last several months, uh, like in March, uh, 785,000 people went back to work. April, 269. May, 583,000. And here we are with uh, June, it was 850,000. So 
closer to that one million a month. And Goldilocks in the sense that uh, it's still low and there's still a lot of unemployment in the sense that the Federal Reserve will probably uh, keep the interest rates as low as possible until they're, uh, they're closer to their goal. Their goal is basically to get the uh, unemployment uh, rate uh, down as, as low as, as reasonable. And uh, there's different numbers on what that number is because they're not quite sure what the number is. But uh, we're not there yet because uh, this report showed that the unemployment rate is uh, 5.9% for May. It was 5.8% for the um, oh, I'm sorry, it's 5.9% for June. It was 5.8% for uh, May, but uh, suddenly more people are showing up and uh, uh, looking for work again. So um, the pace of the uh, this COVID has really, the vaccines and the, and the effect on the COVID situation has really surprised a lot of economists. And the pace of the U.S. hiring accelerated in June, with payrolls gaining the most in 10 months, suggesting firms are having greater success recruiting workers to keep pace with the economic reopening. The increase in jobs is the strongest since uh, last August and exceeded the economists' forecast. It also followed a, a gain of slightly uh, revised 583,000 jobs in May and 269 in April. Uh, and despite the latest gain, the, the country still has still has uh, 6.8 million fewer workers in, in February of 2020. So uh, if you take a look at uh, uh, employers who are raising wages to get people back to work, uh, one of the concerns is his voice was that people uh, aren't coming back to work because they're fear of the COVID, because they don't have uh, uh, they don't have care for their children. Uh, the, the daycare centers have been uh, coming back, but they're not back to where they were in February. And also that uh, the unemployment benefits may be too high. That's um, just. Some states have reduced, Ohio has reduced its unemployment benefits or its federal portion of the unemployment benefits. Uh, so the benefits originally were about 300 a month from the federal government and then another $325 a month from the state uh, government's unemployment uh, funds. So they were talking about $650 a week uh, I think I, I said months, but I really mean week to $300 a week and the $325 a week or $625 a week for, if you multiply that by 50, you're talking about $50,000 in uh, unemployment benefits. So for the lower wage earners, there was, uh, you know, concerns about whether I should go to work or back to work or stay on unemployment. Now, for the person making $120,000 a year, why he becomes unemployed, there's no and no question that he has to find another, or he or she has to find another 
125,000 they're not going to sit on unemployment, but the lower paid worker, there's this hesitancy. So um, in some states, they've gotten rid of the $300 bonus from the federal government, so now it's strictly uh, your state unemployment benefit. And uh, uh, so uh, more workers uh, have uh, basically... uh, uh, gotten their uh, uh, shots, and more workers are being comfortable and going back to work. So, what you're seeing is that the the uh, in the uh, state in the uh, big picture, the private uh, sector has added 662,000 jobs, and uh, in June. And uh, to a workforce of basically 123 million workers. So the uh, uh, in June of 2020, there were 116.9 million workers. So number of workers at work are, are going up. Uh, the government is also increasing theirs. That was the private sector. The government sector, the federal government lost. Uh, 5,000 jobs in June out of a workforce of 2.9 million. The state government and the local governments both added big numbers because of the uh, back to school signing contracts and things of this nature. The state government added 69,000 jobs uh, in uh, education, uh, colleges and stuff. The local governments added 124,000 jobs in June, and uh, uh, part of their educational process. Uh, In terms of the private sector, in terms of the goods-producing sector, what you saw was that manufacturing added uh, uh, 15,000 jobs. Uh, Construction lost uh, uh, 2,000 jobs, and mining and manufacturing uh, they added uh, uh, 12,000 jobs. I think that's because of the increase in the oil prices. Oil prices are up to something like uh, $75 a barrel now, so fracking is coming back on the scene. But the big increase in employment was in the service industries, which saw a 642,000 increase in the service sector. Employment and leisure and hospitality increased by 343,000 jobs. Uh, over half the job gains were in food services and drinking places. And uh, employment and, uh, and uh, accommodations increased 75,000. As I said before, uh, in the government, uh, employment rose uh, 155,000. In the local government education, 75,000 in state government education, and 39,000 in private uh, education. So uh, there, there, there was a big buildup in that area. And in employment and professional services, added 72,000 jobs. And uh, the, uh, one of the big things there was the temporary help services, added 33,000. Uh, a retail trade added 67,000 jobs in June, and uh, 
the uh, job growth of clothing and clothing accessories was 28,000. General merchandise was 25,000, and miscellaneous retailers was 13,000. Uh, wholesale trade added 21,000 jobs. Um, employment in manufacturing changed 15,000. And then that 15,000, which you see is uh, furniture and related products added 9,000. Fabricated metal products added 6,000. Primary metal added. Metals added 3,000, and that was kind of offset by the loss in the, uh, in the motor vehicle industry of 12,000 jobs, and that's because of the, of the chip problems. They're shutting down factories because they can't get the, the chips, and they've made enough bodies without chips that they're, they're becoming overloaded with, with uh, cars that they can't sell right now until they get the chips. Uh, transportation and warehousing increased 11,000. So basically what you're seeing is that it was a strong report, but not strong enough to cause the uh, Federal Reserve uh, to say, okay, we've achieved our goal. It looks like the uh, economy is in, uh, um, been done by itself and we're going to go back to normal. So they're going to this will keep the Federal Reserve interest rates as low as possible, which will be good both for the economic recovery as well as for the stock market. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get This Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 You know, we talked about uh, uh, housing and we talked about both the strength of housing as well as the inflation issues in regard to housing. We talked about the um, employment situation, and that's coming along in a Goldilocks fashion, and now let's talk about uh, what industry is doing and factory orders for uh, manufactured goods. And basically, what we're seeing is that uh, uh, manufactured goods orders increased uh, 1.7% in May from April, and that's according to the Department of Commerce's uh, monthly report on manufacturer shipments, inventories, and orders for May, and what you see is the orders increased, uh, that's 1.7%, that amounts to an increase of $8.1 billion to $495.5 billion orders in uh, May. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, the shipments, the shipments increased uh, 7 tenths of 1%, or $3.3 billion. Uh, to four hundred and ninety or $490.4 billion of shipments. Now, if we break it out into durable versus non-durable manufactured goods, we're 
doable stuff that lasts three years. Those are, excuse me, cars, tractors, aircraft, things of this nature. Uh, doable goods manufacturing orders increased 3.2% or $5.8 billion to $253.4 billion. And transportation equipment uh, led that. Uh, primarily in civilian aircraft, which is up, I think, 27% increase for the month. And that's mainly Boeing that's coming out of their doldrums. And uh, the uh, shipments of durable manufactured goods increased four tenths of a percent, or a little bit less than a billion dollars to 248. The machinery led that particular uh, increase. And now for non-durable goods, what you're seeing is that uh, non-durable orders increased 1% and shipments of, uh, of uh, non-durable manufactured goods also increased 1%. So basically what we're seeing is that you look at manufactured goods, 1.7% um, increase in one month. Uh, durable goods, uh, breaking that down, durable goods was 23 Non-durable goods was uh, 1.0. And just to give you some idea of what we're talking about here, if we talk over uh, <clears throat> year-to-date numbers and we say, okay, uh, for the first half, almost the first half, you know, from January through May, uh, comparing the year, uh, last year to this year, uh, Manufactured orders are up 17.2%. Uh, durable goods manufactured orders are up 25.7%. Primary metals are up 24%. Fabricated metal products up 23%. Machinery, 23%. Uh, construction machinery, 39%. Uh, these are big numbers. In other words, these are numbers that... Uh, compare the January through May of this year versus January through May of last year, probably the better thing would be to compare them to uh, 2019 rather than to basically 2020, because we know 2020 is low, but it just gives you an indication that, hey, uh, things are happening in terms of the economy. Uh, the economy is growing broadly and, and is growing stronger. And if you take a look at another, uh, that was the, that was the uh, quantitative data that came from the Department of Commerce. If you take a look at the qualitative information, which uh, there's two companies that put that out. One's the Institute of Supply Management. They took a look at manufacturing and they saw and so the manufacturer was up in uh, they, they put out, they kicked the comments from all the managers in manufacturing and grind them up. And if they come up with a number like 50, that indicates that the, uh, the manufacturing is, is kind of neutral. It's not going up, it's not going down. A number of positive, uh, like 60, indicates that there's a real. Uh, growth in manufacturing. And that's basically where we're at. For June, uh, manufacturing number came in at 60.6. And it really says, uh, give you some of the idea of the responses. 
of uh, what is this? Uh, this is computers and electronic products, supply chains constraints from management from mechanical to electronic products continues to be challenging for both availability with logistics and, and inflationary pressures in just about all the comments, be it from transportation equipment, be it in uh, uh, appliances and components. They're all talking about um, that this month is greater than the orders in, in production this month is greater than last month by a wide margin. They're all talking about increased costs. And uh, um, this is uh, this is something that you have to take into account in, in assessing uh, what the market is doing in terms of saying, okay, uh, the economy is strong, the market is strong, uh, the uh, earnings are up. Uh, we get the second quarter earnings results probably in another uh, starting in another three weeks, and that'll go on for probably a month. So this is uh, it's a good this is a good uh, basically month, and it uh, really uh, holds a lot of potential for the future and the future of our investments too. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. Tomorrow we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the start of our nation, and that was 245 years ago. So, have you ever wondered what happened to the men who signed the Declaration of Independence? What's the what was the price of freedom for them? You know, there were 56 signatures on that Declaration of Independence, and what it shows is that. Five of the signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds and hardship in the Revolutionary War. Uh, what kind of men were they? Well, 24 were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. Basically, they were men of means. They were well-educated, but they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. Uh, uh, Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planner and trader, saw his ships blasted to the bottom of the ocean by the British Navy. He sold he sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken and poverty was his reward. Vandals were soldiers looted the property for Hillary, of Hall, of Palmer, of Walton, of Griffith. Haywood, Rutledge, and Middleton. And at the Battle of Yorktown, uh, Thomas Nelson noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over 
uh, his home for his headquarters. He urged uh, General George Washington to open fire. Uh, Nelson's home was destroyed and Nelson died in bankruptcy. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his, his uh, wife and uh, she died within a few months. <clears throat> John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and his gristmill were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in a forest and caves and returned home to find his wife dead and his children gone. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Morris and Lindsay served similar fates. These men of means and education had security, but they valued liberty more. They pledged, quote, for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence. We mutually hedge, pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They gave you and me a free and independent America. We didn't fight just the British. We were British subjects at that time, and we fought the British-imposed government for the right to govern our own country. So. Today, many Americans take these liberties for granted, but we shouldn't. So what we need to do is take a few minutes to remember the price that is paid for our freedom by the countless American heroes who did their part for our nation during its history. So publicly and privately, remember the the privates, the patriots, who gave so much for you and me. Remember, freedom is never free then or now. So until we meet again next week for more of Get Rich Law, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.